0: Right, good evening. I'm glad to see some of you guys on there tonight. There's a handful of us getting on getting online and there's a few of us here, just a handful of us watching in person and a handful watching online. Maybe a few more will get on as we go. I know it's a Sunday evening, I know it's beautiful outside, and there's a lot of different things we could be doing. So I appreciate all of you that are watching us online tonight or who will be watching us later on as they watch it maybe later in the week. I appreciate you doing this. I think it's a very important sermon that I'm gonna to preach tonight. I think it's a very important series that we started last week as we started looking at the book of Judges, and many people have asked me, uh, even after last week, why are you doing, and this is going to be a short series, I'm not going to go uh, verse by verse as we usually do, I'm going to go in big chunks of of the book of Judges, and many people have asked me, why, why why do you want to do the book of Judges? And my answer is that... Uh, because as we speak right now in the world, maybe if somebody comes back and watches this a year from now or two years from now or five years from now, and they say, why was he going through this? Because as we speak right now, we're in the middle of a pandemic in that the churches are mainly closed. We started seeing a few opened up uh, this weekend and, and more will open up later on, but most church doors have been closed for the last eight to 12 weeks. And there's the disease running rampant and the coronavirus and people are scared to death, locked away in their homes. Our economy is falling. And on top of all that, we're seeing riots and protests that we've never seen before in our nation. And it's going across from, from one end of the of the country to the other end of the country. It just seems like everything's going crazy and everything's out of control. Business are, businesses are shutting down. Churches will shut down and never open their doors again. It's a very difficult time that we're living in right now. Unprecedented is the word that's been said. And that's true. It's an unprecedented time. And many people have, have been asking and wondering what in the world is going on. What's taking place in our nation right now? It seems like we're spiraling out of control, and we need answers. And it's not just the outside world that's asking that. I've been asked that by church people, good Christians that are asking me, Josh, how do we explain this? How do we understand this? How do we get through this? So I wanted to preach a, preach a study or a series on how we, how we understand the times that we're living in. And I went back to a time in the Bible that was it, it mirrors our time. A time when they were doing what's right in their own eyes. And that if that doesn't describe our nation right now, I don't know what does. We're living in a time when our nation is doing what's right in their own eyes. So I wanted as a pastor to help pastor our people through this difficult time. So to show them the world we're living in. And, and to show them what's going on. And not to show them, it's not my job to tell everybody what's going on economically. I don't know anything about about that sort of thing. I don't know how businesses will come back or if they will. It's not my place to to... Tell people what's going on physically. I mean, that's not my job. Maybe that's Mike's job to talk about the coronavirus and how it works and how it attacks the, the system. I don't know that. That's, that's not what I know. That's not my expertise. You don't want to hear that from me. I'll, I'll even say this. It's not my job to stand up here and explain to you what's going on racially. That, that's not my job. That's not my place. That's not what I'll preach. It's my job to stand up here and tell you what's going on spiritually in our nation. And that's why I got the title that that we're going to preach tonight. We're going to preach on when a nation forgets God. That's what's going on in our nation right now. If you want to understand why we're spiraling out of control, we are a nation that has forgotten God. So I want to preach that to you tonight. Judges chapter 3, verses 7-11. through A very short few verses here, but I think it's a very powerful passage we're going to look at today. I want to keep it simple. If you'll notice, And I think this is interesting that as we started with the pandemic, I preached a series, a very comforting series on worry and concern. And now as we get into this just chaos in our nation, I want to preach a very convicting sermon and a series on where we are and what we need to do as Christians in the midst of a a turbulent world, I'll call it. So let let me read these verses to you and we'll, we'll get started on when a nation forgets God. And I think this is very important. As I was writing this sermon out and studying for it, I was praying, God, I, this is a very important sermon. I, I think, and maybe, you know, 10, 11 people watching online, a handful watching here in the service. Uh, there needs to be more people hear this. What, what's going on right now is our nation has forgotten God. Let me read these verses to you. Very very short, very simple. Starting in verse 7. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of their Lord. And they forgot, forgot the Lord their God. And they served Balaam in the groves. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he sold them into the hand of the Cushan Kush, rishathaim I got it. <laughs> I've been practicing that all week. The king of Mesopotamia and the children of Israel served that same word again eight years. I don't want to butcher it the second time. And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel, who delivered them, even Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon them, and he judged Israel, and went out to war. And the Lord delivered Cushan Rish-Nathim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed against, here it is again, Cushan Rish-Thayim, And the land had rest forty years. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. Very short passage, but I think it's very uh, important and I think it's very impactful for us to hear these, these verses. So let's pray together and we'll study when a nation forgets God. Father, we are sorry for where our nation is right now. Uh, I can't speak for everyone in this nation. I'm not a representative of it. But as a pastor in this, in this nation, I'm sorry for where we've let our nation get to. And, God, my heart breaks to see where we are, to see what we're going through, to see the direction that we're going, and to see that it looks like we're to the point of no return. We are a nation that has forgotten you, God. And I ask that you would forgive us nationally, forgive me personally for my part in it, for becoming complacent and letting things go, for forgetting you. And I ask God that you would, this is my cry, as the Israelites cried unto you, this is my cry. God, please heal our land. Please. And as I pray this, God, I ask that you would help me to speak these words in a wise way, in a loving way, in a kind way, with the right tone, with the right heart. As I speak to when a nation forgets its God. And I pray that you would convict all of our hearts. And God, I know that it's probably just a hand. This is for my church. I'm not preaching this to anybody else, but our church family. But deep down in my heart, I desire it to go to a wide audience so they can understand what's going on, that you are behind all this and what you're doing. So God, help me tonight, and we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are a very forgetful people. I think my, my favorite phrase that I use anymore, the older I get, the more I seem to be saying, uh, I forgot. Steph knows that very, very, very well. She'll ask me to do something, and two or three days later, she'll say, did you do that? And my favorite phrase, again, is, I forgot. We are a very forgetful people. God knows that we are a forgetful people, that things slip our minds Seemingly all the time, I walk out of my house and there's three things that I repeat to myself over and over and over and over. And I I, I do it every time I leave the house. I say three words. I say uh, billfold, keys, and phone. Billfold, keys, and phone. Do I have those three things? Because I don't want to get out of there and forget that. Because I have a I'm a very forgetful person. I even do that as I as I'm coming up to preach. I want to make sure that I have my handkerchief, my Bible. I want to make sure that we have our mic set. I want to make sure that everything's ready to go. And that the last thing I do before I get up here is God give me the power to preach your word tonight. I can't do this in my own mind. So there's certain things that I try to do and I hate to get up here and, and realize I've forgotten something, especially if sweat starts coming off of me and I look and I say, oh no, I've forgotten my handkerchief. But well, we do that a lot. We are a very forgetful people. As a husband, I make it my duty not to forget a, a wedding anniversary or a birthday. You've got to be careful with those things. So we can forget small things, but it gets even more dangerous the bigger things you forget. I mean, if I forgot my phone, I can go back and get it. If I forgot my wallet, I can go back and get it. If I forgot my handkerchief, I'm just going to sweat a lot profusely up here while I'm preaching. But as we get to bigger things, it becomes a bigger problem that we forget. I mean, I think we've become a nation that has forgotten where we came from. That's a big deal. We've forgotten our heritage. We've forgotten that sacrifices were made in our nation and for our nation that enable us to have the freedom that we have today. We take for granted that we can get up here and preach and be on Facebook and be to crowds of people and preach the gospel and nobody come in and arrest us. You know why we can do that? Because we had people give their lives in wars, enabling us to have the freedom that we have today. I think some of the people that are out in the streets, even down the road right now, they're having a, a vigil in, in memory of this man who passed away about a week ago, and they have that opportunity because of the freedom that were that was fought and died for us many many years ago. We need to be thankful. That on June 6th, I think in nineteen uh, in the 1930s or 40 s, I can't remember what year it was exactly on d day when our troops went in to, to Normandy and they stormed the beaches and and fought so that we 'd be free today we don't need to forget that we need our memorials to stand up to remind us of where we've been and what we've came uh, came through, so we forget those things. we forget it as a nation, we forget it as a church. We are in a long line of godly, faithful men who have fought the fight enabling us to have a Bible in our hand today. We need to remember that. We need to be thankful for the men in church history, the men like Martin Luther who stood up at the Reformation and, and stood firm against the, the Catholic atrocities that were going on in that day, and that he shined the light in the midst of, of a dark world. Be thankful for the men of church history that have stood up for the truth. And that should encourage us and motivate us to take a stand in our day. But we've forgotten. We need memorials. We need to be reminded of where we've been. We need history. So let's not forget where we came from. And and the last thing I want to say, because it gets even bigger. We don't want to forget the small things. We don't want to forget the, the big things. But we really don't want to forget the biggest thing. We don't want to forget God. And and that's where we're at here today. That's the most dangerous and deadly thing that we can forget. Is to forget our God. To forget Him as Creator. That He is the one who made us. And, And it's not we ourselves. We don't need to forget that God is our sustainer. That when we get up in the morning, and we do forget this. That the breath in our lungs that enables us to get up and to live our days came from Almighty God. Don't forget God. I can go on. We don't need to forget God as Savior. That it's not us that saved ourselves. We're not good. We're not moral. We're not righteous. That without Jesus, we are lost and dead in our sin. Don't forget the sacrifice that Jesus made. You want to go on? Don't forget God as judge. That He will come and judge the wicked and the dead. That we all, don't forget this, we all will stand before God one day and answer for the lives that we have lived. Don't forget God is lawgiver, that He's the one who determines the rights and the wrongs. Forgetting God is a serious offense for anyone, especially an entire nation. The first step to abandonment is forgetting God. And that's where the nation's at here. Israel had focused on God for years and years, they'd given Him their full, undivided attention. And God blessed the nation. They gave their their attention to God. They gave their their focus to God. They gave their lives to God. They gave their worship to God. They were so focused on God. And, And as they did that, the blessings came pouring down. But we find here in verse 7 that they forgot God. That He was out of sight and He became out of mind. And it sent them in a vicious spiral into abandonment. Psalm 917, I want you to write this down. Write the reference down and go look it up up later and, and post it on Facebook and post it on Twitter and Instagram this verse. The wicked shall be turned to hell and all nations that forget God. That's as clear as it gets. The wicked shall be turned to hell and all nations that forget God. That's what happened to Israel and in my opinion, that's what is happening to us as a nation. That's where we're going, that is what's happening, and we can look at it all around us and know that a nation that forgets God is in deep, deep trouble. Two quotes and I'll get started. First quote, those who don't learn from the past are destined to repeat it. We've forgotten our past and here we are repeating it. Poor historians make great sinners. People who don't know what's happened in the past repeat it, the same sins of the past. So let's look at this, a nation that forgets God. And I'm going to keep the outline very simple. It's so simple, I'm almost embarrassed by it. But I want to show you the forgetting, the punishing, and the saving. That's my three points. The the forgetting, the punishing, and the saving. The the, the forgetting, the punishing, and the saving. Starting with number one, the forgetting by the nation. The the forgetting. And and, and this is so simple, so easy. In verse 7, it said, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of, of the Lord, and forgot the Lord their God and served Balaam and the groves. So it says very, very clearly there that they forgot the Lord their God. They forgot Yahweh. That is a very big deal. They didn't forget their keys. They didn't forget their phone. They didn't, they didn't forget a birthday or a wedding anniversary. They forgot their God. And what does it mean to forget? I want to spend a lot of time on that, that word there. Just the word forget. What does it mean that they forgot God? It means that they, and you need to get this. This may be the most important part of the sermon. You need to get this. Here's what it is. Because we can individually forget God in this way. And we can as a nation forget God in this way. And we can as a church forget God in this way. Here's what it means to forget God. Because you're sitting there saying, I'm not forgot God. In God we trust is still on our money. But here's what it means to forget God. Here's what the word means. To ignore God. To cease to care about what God thinks. To disregard God. To let me, let's make let's uh, make note of these. To not take God into account. To not seek God's will. To not seek God's way. To not seek God's Word. To not care what God thinks. To completely turn your back or even just a a slight turn of your shoulder away from God. That you've forgotten Him and turned from Him. You're no longer letting Him guide your ways. You no longer care what He thinks. You no longer follow His Word. You have forgotten God. You make decisions and you don't say, what does God say? is isn't your will. You pass laws. And you don't care what God says. You live a life. And you don't care if it's right or if it's wrong. They had forgotten God. I even wrote in my notes there, wow, they had forgotten Yahweh. Can you go a day without seeking God in some way? If not, you've forgotten God that day. When you wake up in the morning, it should be God on your minds. When you go to bed at night, it should be God on your minds. God, help me not to forget you every big decision. When I buy a car, when I buy a home, and my kids, who should I marry? Where should I go to school? What kind of career should I have? It must be going to God and asking Him. It means, and again, this isn't an accidental thing, it's not a slip of mind. This isn't passive. It's a very active and intentional forgetting of God. It's not like they woke up one morning and said, Whoops, I forgot God today. No, they did it on purpose. And, and they they turned from God to something else. If you And I do this all the time with my kids. I want their attention. I do this. I wish I could do it in church. I see people doing not paying attention all the time. I say, I'd get in trouble if I did that. But at home, boy, my kids would be... Totally focused on their games. Now I'll go in or staff will go in, and clean your room, boys. And you go back in an hour later and they haven't moved. Their attention isn't on their mom and dad. They've forgotten them, and their attention is now on a game. And I now must get their attention by unplugging their game. So that their minds and their eyes come back to me. And that's what's going on with the nation. Their attention had went from God to something else. They had turned from God, and their focus and their attention was now on, look what it says: They forgot the Lord their God and served turned to Balaam and the groves, which means they served other gods, idols. They had turned to and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but it's important. They had turned to the gods of their time. They had turned to the hip. Gods, The cool gods. The, the, the modern views. The, the, the new world view. The old ways were, were old and, and old fashioned and, and out of date. The old ways of Yahweh and His commandments. All that was, oh man, you're out of date man. You're, you're old school. Follow the new way. The new modern way of thinking. The, the bells and the asteroids. Follow the new gods. And that's what they did. They were seeking answers from the culture. They were were following what's popular. They were doing the, the cool things. They were following the myths and the legends of the time. They were following the bells and the asteroids. Turning their attention away from God and His law and following a bunch of idols. And because they did that, when you forget God, You are opening the door to all sorts of evil. Let me say that again. When you turn your back on God and His Word, you are opening the door to a plethora. That's a good word. Plethora of evil. It says they did evil in the sight of God. So let me ask you this. Are we a nation that has forgotten God? Are we a nation that have turned our back on God and His old ways and His old laws and turned to the new ways? The modern ways? Progressive ways? You say, how can we tell if it is us or not? I'm going to take you to a place to show you the proof. I want you to turn with me. We're going to spend a few minutes here to the Romans chapter 1. And I want to read verses 18 through 32. And I want you to hang in here with me. Because these verses in Romans 1, verses 18 through 32, could be described as the warning signs for a death of a nation. A nation that has turned its back on God does these things. In this passage, there are a graveyard of past nations. You can go to Europe right now and take a tour of all the great churches of the Reformation. And they are nothing but graveyards. They are nothing but empty liberal relics today. What happened there? This happened there. And one day in the future, we may come back to America, and the churches here may not be nothing but relics of an old time that is far gone today. What happened there? This happened there. This is the graveyard of all nations. So let me read it to you. Starting in verse 18. And I, I, I don't want to preach this, but I want to spend a few minutes on it. It says, for the wrath, you could say the judgment of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it to them. For the invisible things of Him, from the creation of the world, are clearly seen, being understood by things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead. So they were without excuse, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Do you see that? They knew God. They understood God. They saw God. There He was in the midst of all of the glory of God. They knew who He was. They knew what He was. They knew that He existed. And what did they do? They turned their back on God. It says. Because that which may be known of God is manifest unto them. Because God showed it unto them. Verse 20. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead. So they were without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful. But they became vain in their imaginations. And their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to become wise, to be wise, they became fools. And look where they turned. They turn from God and change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. They turn to the idols of their hands and the idols of their minds. They turn from God and they turn to idols: a God of their own making and a God of their own liking. Same thing that happened in Judges. And watch the progression here. They turn from God, and what's the first thing that happens? Follow it with me. Verse 24, because. You see that word wherefore? Because they turned their back on God. Because they forgot God. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness. Through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. God gave them up and the first step through the door of evil was sexual sin. We had a sexual revolution in America in the 1960's and 70's. The first thing that happened to America on the downward spiral was a sexual revolution. God gave us over to despicable sexual acts. And it goes, watch this. Gave them over to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts. To dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Who changed the truth of God into a lie. And they worshipped and served the creature more than the creator. Who is blessed forever. Amen. And verse 26. And then not just a sexual revolution that takes place. Where there's adultery and there's fornication. But it gets worse. In verse 26. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. This is, this is worse than the first step. This is a sexual revolution turns into a homosexual revolution. They, 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 they are given up to a vile, a degrading, a, a dishonorable, an unnatural, an unseemly, an indecent, a, a shameful, might I even say, a grosser sin. That's what God calls it there. Gave them up to vile, wicked, dishonorable affections. For even the woman changed the natural use into that which is against her nature. And likewise also men, leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust toward toward another, men with men, working that which is gross, unseemly. And receiving in themselves the recompense of their error, which was meat. Again, dishonorable, unnatural, unseemly. Indecent. Open the door. You forget God, you open the door to a plethora of sins. Verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their thoughts, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, to do those things which are not to be mentioned. They're that nasty. He gave them over to a reprobate mind, an insane mind, a mind no longer capable of even thinking what's right, an out-of-control mind. taking them to new lows. Now I want to go down this list because once you get there do you see where it goes? It opens the door to sexual sin. It opens the door to homosexual sin. It opens the door to to out of control mind where you can't even think straight. And when you get there, it just goes on a on a, on a out of control Wait, watch what happens there. Because he says, being filled with all unrighteousness. And he gives a list here of 21 different sins that becomes out of control in a nation that has forgotten God. He says fornication. That's sex before marriage. He says wickedness, covetousness, which is materialism. Do you think our nation has a materialism problem? All All our nation wants anymore is more stuff to the point where they'll loot stores and shoot people for it. Maliciousness, out to harm people to get that stuff. Envy, that you wish ill on others. Murdering, debate. do you think our nation has a debate problem? Where all they do is strife and quarrel and argue with each other? Watch TV. Turn on the news. That's all we do is, try, is, is argue and quarrel with one another. you got, you got them arguing on Fox News, arguing on CNN, arguing on MSNBC, and Christians all over the YouTube world arguing and bickering back and forth at each other where we're just running rampant, full of sin... Let's keep going. Deceit. Do you see that word? That means, if I was going to put it in my terminology, I'd say fake news. You can't believe a word anybody says anymore. It's a bunch of lies. Let's keep going. Malignity. Vicious. Bowling over hatred. Do you think that's in our nation right now? Bowling over hatred. Whispering. Backbiters, which means slandering. Ruining. Trying to cancel people for what they say. Even if they don't even say it. And then it says haters of God, which is right in the middle of the list. Right in the middle it says they are showing themselves to be haters of God. That's where the nation is going. And then he gives more. (laughs) Despiteful, which means they're insulting each other. Proud and boasters, get this. You know what proud and boasters is? If I was going to put this in my own language, I would say selfie taking. It's everywhere. In the midst of a world falling apart, people are doing Egotistical. Full of themselves. How many likes can this get? How many views can I get? How many followers can I get? Look at me. Inventors of evil. Do you see that? Despiteful, proud boasters. Inventors of evil things. Things that didn't exist, and you start inventing them and making them evil. LBGTQ. And they have started adding, inventing, new evil letters to put at the end of that. That nobody has ever spoken of before. There's terminology now. People describing themselves in ways that I've never heard and never thought of. Who invented that? Watch this one. I got my kids here tonight. And I brought them on purpose. Verse 30, disobedient to parents. <laughs> you say, why is that tucked in there? Watch this. It means a child without self-control. Where do you learn submission to authority? In the home. And if you don't learn submission to authority in the home, you won't have submission to authority when you leave the home. In the Old Testament, if a child was disobedient to parents in in an unruly way where it was unstoppable, they were by law allowed to kill them. That was the punishment. Because you don't want someone going out into society that has no submission to authority. If they go out of your home and they have no submission to authority, they won't submit to their bosses at their workplace. They want to submit to their churches in discipline and authority. They won't submit to the word of God. They won't submit, get this, they won't submit to the police officers. They won't submit to the civil governors. They won't submit to anybody. They'll be out of control. It'll be chaos in your nation if your children don't learn to obey their parents. That's why he says they're stomp it out. Do we have a generation today? that does not to submit to any authority at all. The motto of our day might as well be, you can't tell me what to do. The second you disagree with your boss, I quit or I post something about him on Facebook. The second you disagree with your church or your pastor, i will find another one that I can't agree with. The second your police officers do something that you don't like, well, all police officers are bad now. I hate them all. Let's defund the police. I said, oh, we shouldn't say that. I might get cancel culture." The second your governor says something you don't like, oh I, I, get rid of him. You learn submission at the home. And get this anarchy starts at home. That's tough. I gotta hurry. The next one verse thirty one without understanding. Means no common sense. GK <laughs> Chesterson said this, a society in a final decay. Is when common sense is not very uncommon. has become very uncommon. Covenant breakers, which means you can't trust them. They make a covenant in marriage and they break it. They make a covenant in business and they break it. They won't keep their word. Without natural affection, without any love at all. Implacable, they're so stubborn, they, they won't change their ways at all unmerciful, which means, and get this, this is the last one there, unmerciful. They have no forgiveness in their heart for anybody. All they want is revenge. Give them what they deserve. They want mercy for themselves, but no mercy for anybody else. Only revenge. Verse 32, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such acts are worthy of death. Not only do they do them, but they have pleasure in them that do them. They do it, they enjoy it, they applaud it, they parade it, they promote it, they want everybody else to bow down to it. And these sins represent a total collapse in society. And countless societies and countless empires are found in the graveyard of Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. The Roman Empire, the Sodom and Gomorrah Empire. And right now before our eyes, we are up to our noses in this. It might not be long before we become a nation of relics. It might not be long, and I hope it, it, it's not. I, I hope it's, this isn't true. Before the churches in America are nothing but a thing of the past. Where people drive by them and they say, oh, what it used to be. There are seminaries where people drive by them even today and say, oh, what it used to be. And I hope that one day people aren't driving by KFC, getting them a bucket of chicken, and they look over at Weston and say, oh, what it used to be. But they forgot their God. A nation that forgets God cannot survive this is where it goes. You say, Josh, that's that's tough. <laughs> yeah, that's as tough as it gets. That's point number one, the forgetting. Let me show you point number two, the punishing. And these points will go a little bit faster. The, the the punishing here, because it says in verse 8, Therefore, because they forgot God, and because they did evil, like Romans 1 said, because they did that. That's what their society looked like. Their society in Israel looked like the Canaanites, which looked like Romans chapter 1, verses 18-32. through 32. It's just sin run rampant. It's sexual sin. It's homosexual sin. It's lesbian sin. It's just the, the 21 sins that he mentions there, just filled up running wild. That's the evil that they did. They forgot God, became evil, and God, therefore was angry with them. Here's His punishment. The punishing of that nation. Our God doesn't just let us go. He's not mad at the Canaanites. He's mad at the Israelites. God won't let His people successfully and comfortably sin without punishing them. I like that too. Our God cares enough to stop us. And that's what He's doing here. Therefore, God got hot <laughs> in His righteous. Perfect anger. He got on fire. His face turned red. And what does He do? Many people think that when God gets mad and He gets angry and He judges a nation, that He's just going to open up the heavens and and fireballs are going to come out. We've we've seen that in the Old Testament. We've seen that coming in Revelation. But what what does God do right now when He judges a nation? When When He punishes a nation, what does He do? Look what He does to Israel. Fireballs don't come out of heaven. There's, there's no locusts. There's, there's no murder hornet. What does he do? Watch, watch what he does. He hands them over to that big long word that I have a hard time saying. Kushan <laughs> Rishathayim. He hands them over. He lets them go. If you want to be like Canaanites, go be with the Canaanites. God doesn't rain fire down from heaven. God just takes the leash off. Like taking the leash off a dog. If you want to go get that bird, (laughs) go get that bird. America, if you want to follow the world and be like them, go for it. So what he does is he doesn't bring his hand down and punish them. He takes his hand away and lets them go. And what he's done to our nation today, this is my opinion, but I see it here. What he did to Israel was just let them go their own way. Follow the course of your own actions. Reap what you've sown. Hmm. And sooner or later, the consequences of your actions will be obvious. You'll fall in the pit that you dug yourself. (laughs) This is how God judged them. And this is how God is currently judging our nation. We are right now reaping what we've sown. We are reaping years of sexual depravity. We opened the door to sexual depravity in the 60s and the 70s with the free love era, and it has turned into the homosexual, it's turned into the lesbian, it's turned into the transsexual, it's turned into letters that I don't even know what's going on with. And we're reaping what we've sown now. We're reaping what we've sown in that we don't want God, we don't want the Bible, and we don't want creation in our in our schools anymore. We have tossed God out so we don't want the Bible taught. We don't want prayer in schools. We don't want the Ten Commandments. We don't want God here and we're raising a godless generation. What's going on? We're reaping what we've sown in our public schools. You don't want God being taught to your kids? You will raise godless kids. They'll... They'll learn evolution in school. And when they get out, they'll act like animals. And we'll sit and say, I wonder why. We are reaping what we've sown in the family. When the family fails and you've got more than half or more families being without a father. fatherless children you'll reap what you've sown we're reaping what we've sown in the church when we have been giving people nothing but shallow Christianity for generations with false professions just to fill the baptistry just to get numbers we're reaping what we've sown and this is how God is currently judging our nation. You want to be that way, be that way. Go. So he lets them go into slavery. Again, to the Kushan, rishathaim the king of Mesopotamia. He lets them go. They're in shackles, they're enslaved, which is exactly where they need to be. God uses misery to wake up his people. So he let them be miserable to wake them up. And it says in verse nine, "Look what happens!" And when the children of of Israel, after eight years, it took them eight years to cry. Do you get that? They were enslaved for eight years. They, 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 I mean, it's, it's almost a decade that they've been in chains. And that, that they've been doing the work of Mesopotamia. And, and they, they've not cried out yet. And finally, it gets to be enough is enough. We've tried it our own way. we went our own way and done our own things. And we can't get ourselves out of this. What do we do now? The last resort. Cry out to God. So it says there, And when the children of Israel... Cried unto the Lord. Finally, and the word cry there, I love this, it's Zaak in the Hebrew, and it means yelp. They yelped like a dog. Yelp, the sound of pain. It hurt. They feel the pain and they cry out. And the problem is that yelp isn't genuine. It's not I'm sorry and I repent. It's not a godly yelp. It's a temporal yelp. You say, Josh, what do you mean by that? What's the difference between a godly yelp? (laughs) Isn't yelp some kind of thing you got online to gauge a restaurant or something? Yelp. You You have a godly yelp that says, God, I'm sorry. And I change my ways and I'll do better. And you have a fake yelp. That says, God, I'm in pain right now. And if you'll get me out of this pain, I'll do, I, I'm not going to do any better. Just get me out of this situation. It's like somebody coming to church when they get sick and praying and, and God heals them and you don't see them again. It, it happens all the time. As soon as they're fixed, it's over and done. And that's what this yelp is. It's not a godly yelp that changes their ways and changes their life. It's an ungodly yelp that says, I just want to out of this right now. God, get me out of this right now. Get me out of the slavery right now. And nothing is going to change. And it's just going to keep going in the same pattern, in the same direction. I'm not going to repent. It's an unrepentant yelp. And there's a lot of people, even in America today, that have an unrepentant yelp. They're crying out to God, but it's not a cry of, God, if You'll get us out of this, we'll do better. God, if you get us out of this, we'll get our families back in order. We'll be back in church. We'll serve You. We'll love You. We'll turn away from all the idols of our culture and we'll serve God again. That's not happening. People are turning, still turning from God. Yelping, God, get us out of the pandemic. And when you do, nothing's going to change. We just want things back to normal. Yelping, God get us out of riots and protests and uh, and an uprising. And as soon as God stops it, and God has uh, seemingly stopped the pandemic, it slowed down, we flattened the curve. And people are back to their normal lives, like nothing ever happened. The temporal yelp. You say, prove that Israel did this. I will. Look in verse 12. God saved them. That's our third point. He got them out of trouble. And they couldn't even wait a verse. (laughs) People have been crying out to God, please stop the pandemic. Please stop the pandemic. And God has seemingly, if not stopped it, slowed it down. And as soon as he does, people go back to their normal lives like God didn't do a thing. Look in verse 12. They couldn't make it a verse. Most Christians can't make it a week before they go back. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. They couldn't make it a verse. And they're back to their old ways. God, get us out of the pandemic. Please! Yelp! Yelp! God flattens the curve. All the experts were wrong. (laughs) All the projections were way off. Are the experts that bad or is God that good? And we're back to our daily normal routine the next day. God, if you'll you'll stop the pandemic, I'll, I'll get back in church. God knows it isn't genuine. But God is so good that he hears it anyway. And he answers it anyway. Because look what he does. And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer. And that's point number three. I've showed you the forgetting. I've shown you the punishing. Now I want to show you the saving. And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer. God raises up a deliverer. God raises up a judge, which is the namesake of this book. Judge. He raises up a judge. I know what many of you think when you hear the term judge, you think of Judge Judy. And I know she's vicious. And I know she's loud. And I know she's tough. But that's not the type of judge he's talking about here. When he says he raised up a judge, when it says he raised up a deliverer, he raised up a conqueror. He raised up a warrior. He raised up a strong man. I like the word, he raised up a reformer to come in and to deliver God's people. That's who he raised up. That's what he raised up. It wasn't a, a legal expert in a black robe with a with a gavel. It was a man coming in to, to conquer a nation. And who is it? I know we've never heard of this man. We've heard of Samson later on. You've heard of Gideon later on. But I'd say none of us. And I've got six people here. How many of you guys have heard of Othniel? Raise your hand. <laughs> exactly. Raise your hand online if you've heard of Othniel. Do I have any? No. God raised up a no-name warrior. Who is this guy? It says there he's the, the, the son of Canaz, Caleb's younger brother, Joshua and Caleb. So Caleb's younger brother, Othniel. He married Caleb's daughter. He's about 65 years old. And he's a warrior. That's about all we know. He won Caleb's daughter. I don't want to take you there because I'm running out of time. But in Judges chapter 1, Caleb stood up before his army and said, If anybody will go out to battle and win this war, I'll give you my daughter as a prize. I'm sure they had a line of people saying, okay, okay, okay. Well, who was the warrior that that out of all those men won Caleb's daughter, won the hand of her in marriage? Who was it? It was Othniel. And what did he do? Very easily, it says, and not a whole lot of action here. There's no violence. We want that. We'd love to see some swords. I mean, how would you like to go to a movie and there's a war and you don't see any violence at all? There's no action at all. That's what happens here. It says, he raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel. His name was Othniel, the son of Canaz, Caleb's younger brother. Spirit of the Lord came upon him. He judged Israel, went out to war, and the Lord delivered them. And then they had peace. I mean, it's not end of story. Forty years of peace. Everything calmed down. It seems boring. It seems bland. There's nothing going on here. So what's the big deal, Josh? He sends in a warrior. Warrior does it. It's over. Well, here's the big deal. This story isn't about what Othniel did. Or what his wife did. Or about the plan that he made in order to win the battle. It's not about his might. It's not about his men. It's not about his salvation or his deliverance. This deliverance here is not about a man. That God doesn't want it to be about a man. It's not about the judge. It's not about the warrior. It's not about him. Who's it about? Watch this. I love this. It's all about God. The simplicity of this story, the boredom of this story, the dullness of this story focuses us on who really delivered God's people. It was God doing the delivering. This focus is not about the action of a sinful man. This focus is about the action of God delivering a sinful people. Look what happens. Just notice this with me. And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, Who raised up the deliverer? If you got your Bibles there, who did it? The Lord. I mean you guys with me there? You got you guys with me there? The Lord did that. The Lord raised up a deliverer. And then go down to verse ten. And who came upon him to help him judge Israel? And the Spirit of the Lord came and empowered him to do what he did. And I'll give you another one. If you want to look at verse 10. And he judged Israel and went out to war. And who delivered? The Lord delivered. Three times in one verse. It doesn't tell us how good Othniel was. That's why nobody's ever heard of Othniel. Because it wasn't about Othniel. And everybody's heard about Yahweh. The greatness of a nation is always in the greatness of the nation's God. God. It's not about the men. It's about God. And if our nation will ever get on its feet again and will ever return again and turn away from its idols and remember it's God, it will be because God raised it up. It will be because God delivered it. Because God empowered it. It's all about God. The nation must return to God again. It's the action of God to deliver sinful men. The only way a nation will survive like ours is if God intervenes, is if God raises up, is if God empowers, and if God delivers. That's the only way. We must remember the Lord. We forgot the Lord, and now we must turn back and remember the Lord. It won't be. Get this, the answer to America's problem You ready for this? It is not sociological. It is not political. It is not racial or ethnicity or prejudice. It is a spiritual problem. And it won't be solved through petitions and lobbies and legislation and protests. It must begin with the cry of its people. Our problem in America is a spiritual problem and the only answer is a spiritual answer. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of God in the nation again. That's the only solution to our problem. John MacArthur said this, We have a fatal sin problem that can only be remedied by the Gospel. The only hope for America is Jesus Christ. He is our Deliverer. He is the Empowered One. And He is the only hope of America. The the nation must return to their Savior and their Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only hope. A genuine, repentant, cry of its people must go out to God and maybe just maybe God may hear us and he may give us another generation of calm he may bring us peace he may bring us prosperity but it must begin with his people crying out to him yelping unto our God we are in pain we are suffering we're sorry for forgetting you get us out of this We repent. We'll change even if you don't answer us. Isaiah 55, and I'll close. Verses 6 and 7. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him. And to our God. For he will abundantly pardon. Can I read that one more time? It's beautiful. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him and to our God. For he will abundantly pardon. That's my plea to you tonight. I doubt there's many lost people that are listening to me right now. But if there is, you need to not return to Jesus, but turn to Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. Put your full faith and trust in him. Your only hope in the midst of an evil world is a perfect savior. The deliverer that God raised up. The deliverer that God empowered. The deliverer that came to save. And he is mighty to save your soul. Put your faith in him. And for Christians in this room and online. And watching later on on repeat. I urge you to cry. To yelp. Do it first thing in the morning. God, I won't forget you this morning. He never forgets you. So first thing in the morning, cry out to God. Last thing at night, cry out to God. And as a church, cry out to God. Across the nation, prayer meetings on Wednesday nights are empty. Across the nation, on Sunday mornings, the altars are empty. Beaches are full. The lakes are full. Theme parks are becoming more full. But the churches are empty. Does it seem like we've forgotten God? Cry out to God. Just maybe. Just maybe. He'll heal our land. Let's pray. Father, please... I know this is a difficult sermon for me to preach it's a difficult sermon for me to prepare and God I'm going, to, I'm going to probably worry that I was too harsh that I was too mean that I didn't say things in the right way but God I tried to do it with care, compassion, kindness love to tell the truth and I pray that it's received that way I pray that people hear it that way and I pray, God, that as we hear it, me included, that we won't forget you anymore. That we'll always keep our mind on you. We'll always seek you. We'll always turn to you. We'll always give you our attention. And God, I know we're just a small church. And what can a small church do? Now, we can yelp and we can preach the gospel. So empower us to do that for as long as you'll allow. And God, I pray from the depths of my soul that this church won't become a relic of a bygone era when the gospel used to be preached there. But that we will always be a pillar and ground of truth. Standing for truth in a fallen world today, tomorrow, and for many generations to come. God help us. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.